0: Ultimately, the Stoics think, well, um, the art can be very useful as an illustration, as an attractive way of teaching philosophy even. But it's not the kind of thing that can genuinely affect your moral standing, right? So agency always remains with a, a listener or a reader Oh, audience. So it's always up to the person.
1: Welcome to Stoic Conversations. My name is Caleb Antiveros, and today I am speaking with Aiste Chelikite, a professor at the University of Leiden and the author of The Stoic Theory of Beauty. Thanks for joining.
0: Very happy to be here. Thank you for for having me.
1: So today we're going to be talking about the Stoic ideas about beauty, their philosophy of aesthetics, uh, an underrated topic. Um, But let's start with this first question. What is beautiful for the Stoics? So before we get to the theory, what sorts of things do the Stoics point out as examples of beauty in the world?
0: Okay, so uh, if we are talking about the early Stoics, they mostly talk about conventional things. I think that that would be fair. So uh, for them, the beauty of the world is very important. And they also talk about uh, the beauty of people. So again, conventionally attractive people. So all uh, all kinds of uh, examples of visible beauty. At the same time, they also talk about what we might call abstract beauty or maybe better moral beauty. So they also talk about the beauty of the sage and uh, the beauty of virtue. A-, a rather interesting case is Marcus Aurelius, who uh, in, in book uh, three of his meditations, he has this list of nature's byproducts. Um, and he talks about the attractiveness, the appeal, and beauty of these things. So, some of the examples are uh, the crust of bread that splits in baking, overripe figs that gape open, uh, olives that are extremely ripe to the point of being nearly rotten. He also has an example of ears of corn uh, bending down, eyebrows of uh, a lion, uh, an interesting example, and foam dripping from the mouth of uh, a boar. So he comments that these things are part of nature's process and therefore they are beautiful and pleasing. And he adds that to a person Interested in nature, uh, the gaping jaws of beasts will be as beautiful as sculptures that imitate them, and this is this is a really nice little reference to Aristotle's Poetics. Uh, so Aristotle argues that humans are the most imitative of all the animals, and that we learn through representation and imitation. Um, the Greek word here is mimesis. And it's notoriously difficult because it's used in different senses, but it basically talks about representational art. And so Aristotle supports this claim by pointing out that we enjoy very detailed representations of things that repulse us. And one of his two examples is, in fact, the most terrible, vile beasts. <laughs> So Marcus Aurelius is really responding to this and saying Stoics don't need the filter of art. All nature's works are beautiful. And I I think this is uh, perhaps um, the best kind of answer to the question is natural things and nature's works are the best examples of beauty for ancient Stoics.
1: Mm -hmm. I suppose on one hand, these sorts of things are beautiful, as a whole, you know, the flex of foam, that's just a uh, part of the boar and the boar is part of an even larger ecosystem, which isn't part of a world. So you have this idea of process and there's a kind of beauty to that, the parts when it's understood from the perspective of the whole. So there's that, but there's also sort of the remark that, you know, the shadow of decay gives the ripe figs a kind of beauty in themselves. So they're almost beautiful and taken individually as well. There's that perspective. So I, I suppose I'm curious, do you think that the Stoics are pointing at both things taken individually and taken from the perspective of the whole? Or is it mostly just the picture of the whole that's driving the evaluation that these sorts of things are beautiful?
0: Oh, I think it's definitely both. When he describes the bread, <laughs> the bread that's split open in, in the baking, he makes this little comment that it's very appealing in itself. It's very inviting. So that suggests, together with some other comments, that it's really beau that you find something um beautiful just through perception and reflecting on it seeing the whole also adds to that beauty it it can make uh, I, th- I think a lot of stoics would agree that reflecting can make things seem beautiful even if they might not have seemed like that before uh, but but it's also about sort of uh, just just appreciating a thing in it in itself mm-hmm. in its own right.
1: Got it. Got it. So, what do we have in terms of texts from the earlier Stoics, the earlier Greek Stoics or uh, Roman Stoics who came before Marcus Aurelius? Uh, you mentioned that you know, they note uh, beauty usually in a more conventional sense, but you know what is sort of the the text or tradition we can point to and making sense of what they say about beauty.
0: Okay. So as, as ever with the early Stoics, the textual evidence is a problem. <laughs> so we basically have two sources here, uh, doxographical collections and critical accounts. So uh, doxography is a genre of philosophical writing in antiquity. It consists of collecting the views of philosophers usually very famous philosophers or notable philosophers and organizing them in some way for example by school or by topic and for the stoics one of the most important doxographical collection is uh, the one compiled by diogenes laertius i think anyone who is interested in stoicism probably heard that name before <laughs> He writes uh, a collection called uh, Lives of Eminent Philosophers and it contains many key claims about beauty. So, this is really a summary, the uh, best hits Mm -hmm. sort of (laughs) type of uh, situation. Uh, Another important source um, for the Stoic views of beauty are critical accounts. So, for example... Uh, Sextus Empiricus, who was a Peronian skeptic himself, recorded uh, many Stoic views in order to criticize them. And he has a little bit on, on beauty too. An even more important source is Plutarch. He was a Middle Platonist and he spilled much ink to show that Stoicism is incoherent and idiosyncratic. But thanks to this effort, we actually have a pretty good record of the views that he tried to refute. So we owe him a lot. Finally, another very important source for uh, Stoic, Stoics and beauty is Cicero. So Cicero yeah. is academic skeptic. He's also not very friendly to the Stoics, but he's a gentle critic. He he was really interested in... Um, all kinds of philosophical accounts. And so we owe him a lot of evidence from uh, Cleantes and and the claims about the beauty of the world, for example, the important arguments about the beauty of the world all all come from from Cicero's on the nature of gods. Mm
1: -hmm. So if we're thinking about what makes the Stoic views of beauty distinct, from their ancient rivals or ancient philosophical counterparts, what sorts of features would people like Cicero or Plutarch uh, pick up on?
0: So uh, uh, these more critical accounts often pick up on the more idiosyncratic views. Uh, They uh, often... Especially Plutarch is very keen on criticizing the Stoics for saying mm-hmm. that the most beautiful person would be uh, the sage, the perfectly rational person. Cicero records a lot of cases, quite qu- uh, quite a few mm-hmm. cases of Stoics defining beauty and um, explaining various arguments uh, to do with beauty. Mm-hmm. I... Um, I mentioned Cleantes. He's a great example.
1: Mm, Yeah, yeah. So what maybe we could dive into that a little bit more by asking what sorts of properties the Stoics picked out as beautiful. So, of course, in the conventional account, what's beautiful? Maybe the first stab, the common sense account would be to pick out particular physical properties of people or of, of nature, but of course there are more uh, abstract accounts of what, what beauty consists in uh, as well in different ancient traditions. But what, what are those properties that matter to the Stoics? You know, what does beauty consist of?
0: So I think uh, the best way to answer this question is, is to look a little bit at the Stoic definition of beauty because it concerns certain properties that are really crucial. So uh, beauty is defined as symmetry of parts with each other and with a whole. And, um, the key word here is subetria, a popular term in ancient philosophy. It was really popularized by a sculptor, Polyclitus who figured out what proportions can be used to depict the human body in a beautiful way. So he's really um, an artist interested in depiction of a body. And Mm -hmm. he really only cares about making beautiful statues. We have no reason to think that he was necessarily uh, a, a philosopher, but philosophers pick up this term and they use it quite broadly. Um, so whereas Polykleitos is interested in finding proportions that will make a statue beautiful, uh, philosophers are interested in this very idea that proportions can create the property of beauty. So the asymmetria is all about proportionality for uh, for the Stoics and for other philosophers. Okay. Now uh, there is a, a sort of second aspect to the Stoic understanding of beauty. Uh, in in my work, I have argued that the Stoics understand symmetry functionally too. So something is beautiful if it's proportional for the kind of an entity that it is. So in in other words, if it's functional. So functional beauty uh, can be a little bit of an odd idea, but it goes hand in hand with the Stoic idea that good things are in accordance with nature, of Mm -hmm. course. So I already mentioned the sage, the, the very controversial case. And the sage is most beautiful because it is in human nature to be rational, right? That's our function according to the Stoics. And a perfectly rational person would have, of course, uh, coherent beliefs uh, that would be very harmonious and uh, fit each other. So there is proportionality, but this is also in accordance with nature. Right? There is the, the, the functional aspect here that is quite important, and uh, it permeates the, the Stoic thought on aesthetics.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So we have these two two parts, uh, as I I understand it. First, we have almost a mathematical sense of symmetry, right? And those sorts of things can be beautiful, a matter of proportion, things being properly ordered, um, having a good structure in some sense. And then the second aspect is, are things uh, shaped uh, in the right way for their purpose? Are they functionally proportional uh, in that sense.
0: I would just add that these are, so uh, we can separate them for analytical purposes, but I think they are really supposed to go together, sort of good proportion is determined by function, right? The reason why certain proportion is good is because it fits uh, the function of whatever entity we are talking about.
1: Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense. So, with that with that sort of uh, definition of beauty in place, how like how can we use that to better understand what Marcus Aurelius is talking about when he notes the beauty of, you know, the stalks of wheat bending under their own weight, the bread the figs the olives and so on.
0: So um this is a very good question because on on the one hand he seems to be talking about also in in this in his list about things that are not entirely functional i think split uh, the split loaf of bread you might think well this is this is not how things are supposed to go uh, but um i i think it does actually fit his ideas, too, because it's about the function of nature and um, the overall uh, purpose, so that um, things are a certain way because it is for the best. I mean, the, the, the Stoics are, of course, uh, determinists about everything, and natural processes especially for them are part of the rational design and part of the and so part of the function.
1: Mm-hmm. Right so I guess it's something like if you knew the true workings of nature then you would see how they are beautiful then you'd have a, a much a comprehensive sense of how they are beautiful and and then given that that's the case, if you have that pre-existing belief that things are ordered this way, then even if you can't see the exact account of what makes these sorts of things beautiful, you can nonetheless appreciate them as beautiful since you are confident in uh, nature having a purpose, as it were. Yes,
0: that would be um, definitely a, a good way of looking at this uh, uh, this list and, and making Marcus Aurelius coherent with what we know of uh, the early Stoics. Of oh, the early
1: Stoics, right, right. One sort of uh, issue that comes up with these sorts of things is, if you think about the platonic list, the true, the good, and the beautiful, there's always that question. Are those the same, different aspects of the same thing? And then you can also we can also extend that kind of question to the Stoics' thoughts on beauty. There's the beauty of the sage, the morally excellent person, the person with excellent character. Is that... The same kind of thing as their moral goodness. Are beauty and mor- moral goodness really just either descriptions of the same thing, different aspects of the same thing? What's your What's your sense of how the Stoics thought about this issue?
0: Um. Okay. Yeah. So I I think um it is important uh to distinguish for, for the Stoics between moral beauty and other types of beauty. And they do so. In their definition of beauty, they talk of the beauty of the body and the beauty of the soul. So um, ordinary beauty, uh, bodily attractiveness, for example, uh, is, is definitely a very different thing from the good, the, 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 the moral thing. Uh, the the moral um uh, sorry uh morally beautiful right right uh things uh but when it comes to moral beauty it it is definitely very close um to the good because virtue is definitely described as beautiful by them and i i think It's important for the Stoics that virtue is beautiful because it explains why we feel admiration and attraction towards certain noble actions and noble character uh, traits. And when we find them beautiful in in those cases, beauty is um, coextensive with the good.
1: So... Uh, do you think it's useful to decide to distinguish between we have beauty as an indifferent physical attractiveness, the attractiveness of art, uh, perhaps even nature and then beauty as something that represents or it it comes with what is, what is morally good? Um, Do you think, and maybe you wouldn't, uh, think of that kind as necessarily an indifferent, or at least it's not that informative to do so. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, that 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 I think is is a, a nice way of distinguishing things. Um, we haven't talked much about uh, the indifference, of course, uh, but that is really the crucial uh, point when it comes to to, to the Stoics to, to say that. Ordinary cases of beauty, Um, visible beauty, is supposed to be just the indifferent. And when it comes to moral beauty, it's 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 really very important to them that virtue is beautiful, and it is uh, definitely very uh, sort of it's it's the distinguishing feature of. The good, the proper good, that really leads to happiness. Um, so I think Seneca has some interesting things to say about this in in his letters, where he says well the there are all kinds of goods that people think will make them happy. They might be wealth, they might be reputation. But really, the proper good is is the one that is this morally beautiful thing. It distinguishes the virtue among all other goods as the true good, the proper good. Um, and and this is also a, a claim that's evident. The, the, the commitment that the Stoic makes, mm-hmm. the Stoics make in uh, other sources as well. So this is definitely a very important thing for them.
1: Right, right. So, but would they say that the kind, I suppose I'm one, someone might be confused and say, would they say that the beauty in the sage is the same kind of thing as the beauty in, say, I don't know, a well-ordered house or someone who's exceptionally healthy? Is that the same kind of beauty or are we, are we just using this, the same word to describe different, different things for the Stoics?
0: okay, so I think that that that's a very good question, and I think this is where um functionality again kicks in and and becomes a, a really useful tool <laughs> to make sense of these these things so uh the different cases of beauty can be differentiated according to how functional they are mm-hmm. for us as 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 a human as as human beings and so uh because it is uh, our nature according to the stoics to be rational and virtuous we um when we are in that state which is of course very hard to achieve it's very rare that's really the best kind of beauty, <laughs> sort of the the, the, the the proper beauty, because it is in our nature. We are fulfilling something in our nature. And uh therefore it's it's really uh excellent version of of um any kind of uh aesthetic manifestation. Whereas things that are preferred in difference. Um, let's say uh, the house, I think you mentioned the house, right? That's, uh, it has a place that there is a function for it. It's, it's natural for us to live in in the houses, but that's not really the point of being a human being, right? That's um, relevant. You might want to have a orderly house, clean house all all that kind of thing, but it's lower on the scale of value.
1: Yeah. So I suppose you could think of, you can connect this to, in this podcast, we've talked a little bit about Musonius Rufus and Musonius Rufus has a set of lectures on very practical matters like furnishing food. And usually he asks, you know, what's the purpose of something like food? And for him, food, is just fuel, it's nutrition. Uh, and perhaps you can add add to that. Yeah, maybe there's a social role too. There has this some there's some amount of social convention or social meaning that's attached to to what we eat. Say similar remarks about furnishings, how houses are ordered, and so on. So then the the, the question is, you can think about some of these more conventional forms of beauty, perhaps in a similar way. They're beautiful insofar as they serve their ordinary purpose for physical beauty maybe there's some amount of social meaning there's some amount of health that might be communicated but it's not the sort of thing that one should overindulge in otherwise it becomes like overindulging in food forgetting you know the purpose of a human life isn't to look beautiful in this sort of conventional sense it's to have a beautiful character so i th- suppose that's yeah. a, that's my stab and t- th- thinking about this uh from Musonius rufus is as examples, maybe somewhat useful too.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's that's a very nice connection, I think. And of course, maybe we, we could add, um, it doesn't mean that we should abandon these things, right? It, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't eat <laughs> okay. or we, sh- we, we shouldn't take care of our environments or of, of our bodies. It's all about putting value on the right uh, place uh, of our value system. Um, I I I like to think of it as as a ladder, right? And um, the kind of things that bring us to flourishing, to 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 happiness, has to be on top. And that's really virtue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that that also corresponds to to the most beautiful kind of state that a person can be in
1: right right so i suppose the the clearest way in which you think about okay so what's the practical upshot of the stoic thoughts on beauty that maybe the most fundamental one most obvious one is the stoics thought that having an excellent character was the most beautiful it's at the top of the ladder if you will so insofar as you uh are stoic or aiming to live that kind of life you'd want to be adept at recognizing people with excellent characters seeing that as beautiful and then trying to be uh show that beauty in your in your own actions that seems like the the most important practical upshot from this what what do you think
0: yeah i th- i think that's right uh Uh, There is a very interesting passage in which Zeno describes a beautiful boy. What what a beautiful youth would look like. And uh, he describes all kinds of properties that seem bodily. But on closer inspection, we can see that it's not so much the shape or, um, I don't know, the complexion, right? But rather the bearing of the boy so he's um keen listener to the argument and uh, he's attentive and uh, all of these properties seem to show readiness to learn for, for um, readiness to develop character mm. uh, interest in virtue and uh, it's uh, exactly as you say this is sort of an interest in in uh developing virtue and character character that's that's really important uh to the stoics
1: right right yeah i suppose there's a there's a line from epictetus where something to the effect of as a human being you are not a body but prohiresis or that faculty Mm -hmm. of choice or will and if you make that beautiful then you will be beautiful uh, in the discourses and i think that captures well how, how the stoics th- fundamentally think about about beauty
0: yeah epictetus is really good at um just uh, putting everything in a nutshell
1: yeah yeah he's a <laughs> a good teacher probably he would be a a good teacher
0: i imagine so, for yes. for
1: some students at any rate <laughs> Uh, for the students who had the, uh, I guess, the ability to withstand his uh, abuse or or motivational speeches, at any rate, yeah. So, how would so how would Stoics think about approaching questions? Uh, we've touched on this a little bit, but how would they think about approaching questions like, how important are the aesthetics of my house, or how important are the aesthetics of what I wear uh, and so on?
0: Um, I think the notion of uh, preferred indifference would uh, really be the guiding uh, principle here. Um, So I I think the Stoics would be, um, again, not entirely averse to Finding beauty and making things more appealing in the environment, but at the same time, I, I think it would definitely be uh, very important not to make that an objective of any any sort. I mean, it's it it always boils down to to the same thing that whenever we take Bodily things, external goods, anything like that, as the good, <laughs> as the thing that would constitute a happy life, we we are making a mistake. So, um, it so in in any case, I think uh, the Stoic approach to these things would be moderate. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's always always a good. Uh, I think, slogan answer to any question about the Stoics. The Stoic approach would be moderate. Well, with, with that in mind, how, how would you think about art then? So, of course, we have poetry, painting, music. One argument for these sorts of things is that they represent uh, the morally good, or at least they can at their best, they can represent the morally good or help, help us develop our character how do, how do the stoics think about about the the sort of issue when it comes to the the arts broadly speaking
0: so i think the stoics have um really interesting attitude towards art uh, even even if it's perhaps not very exciting uh, it's it's a little bit make what you will <laughs> so um They definitely think that art can be uh, an important part of our moral life and moral education. They like engaging with arts. So Chrysippus loved citing literature. He loved citing Medea, especially the the tragedy. And of course, we know that Cleantes wrote poetry himself. Uh we still have his, his, his hymn to Zeus uh as as, as an extant uh, poem. But this uh, the, the, the interesting thing about the Stoics is that we never find them censoring art. So when uh ancient philosophers think that art can affect us morally they can be quite serious about it and say, well, in that case, we should avoid the kind of art that can impart uh, improper character traits. Um, uh, This is usually uh, connected with emotions and sort of excite very strong emotions that are unreasonable, and immoderate and and so on and so forth. And interestingly, we have very little or or none at all uh, of that in Stoicism. So it seems that ultimately the Stoics think, well, um, the art can be very useful as an illustration, as an attractive way of teaching philosophy even. If we Mm -hmm. think about clientes, right, that's a way of teaching philosophy, but it's not the kind of thing that can genuinely affect your moral standing, right? So agency always remains with a listener or a reader or audience, depending on what kind of art we're talking about. So it's always up to the person to determine how art will affect them. Uh, They can allow uh, emotions, of course, uh, to be excessive and overtake them. But they can also look at very emotion-inducing play, such as uh, Greek tragedy, and inspect it and use it for moral improvement. Mm
1: Yeah yeah so many ancient philosophers are thinking about of course the central example would be uh Plato like what's the optimal role of arts in terms of educating a person educating a city how do you shape yourself with art but the argument you're making is that the stoics will say yeah maybe art can have some impact in shaping your character but there's always the listener there's always the viewer and they have that decision how to respond art's just one other impression you're going to be faced with i suppose uh amongst the c or cycle of impressions you'll face during a life and some individuals might find art particular artworks that's useful for developing themselves others others may not one example of this is you have marcus aurelius sometimes reminds himself to throw away his books which you can see yeah he's on campaign Maybe he's tempted to go back to some, I think he was maybe thinking about writing some ancient history of Rome or uh, he certainly has a philosophical bent. So he's tempted to read some great works of philosophy, but there he's writing himself, I take it, to pay attention to what matters in front of him, his duties as an emperor. But you could equally imagine him in a different context thinking it's important to dive into those books to learn more about them, learn more about whether it's philosophy or history depending on someone wh- whosever role uh is under consideration, so I think that I think that's that's well put
0: yeah definitely i mean so uh in in the uh, passage that we discussed at the beginning where, where he talks about odd, oddly beautiful things, he references Aristotle. So he he must have read it and reflected on it and found it uh, in in some way useful. But at at the same time, it's always um, the person that has to make that decision. The moral agency is um, clearly very important for the Stoics. And it's also perhaps uh, evident uh, from the fact that later philosophers, for example, Neoplatonists, uh, really pick this up and adopt the this, this Stoic formulations about personal agency and that uh, these things are up to us and um, mm-hmm. always in in our power.
1: Right, right. I think there's both maybe some insight and some danger in that Stoic strategy, so... One example of that is Seneca talking about the gladiatorial games, where he criticizes the mob of people who enjoy the violence, the spectacle, but also notes that the games they can be great examples of courage, bravery, either in the arena or in on anger. He has a list of gladiators who he admires for committing suicide uh, instead of instead of entering combat, but perhaps that focus on reaction obscures his reflections on the games in general, like whether there should be gladiatorial games. Mm. Uh, so maybe, maybe there's some, at least, I don't, I don't mean to be too hyperbolic, but at least there's a, a potential risk in that thinking pattern of focusing on reactions, what can you learn, what sort of acts are possible that might obscure the object itself. In in this in this case, might be might be a useful one. Where sure, of course, it's true that you can see virtue in slave combat, but you can also see uh, you might be if you focus on that, you might be blinded on the vice of the organizers.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, the um, uh, uh, agency, the moral responsibility is uh, a two edged sword. It um, always means that we are responsible for uh, or we are liable to make bad judgments and bad decisions and um, assent to wrong impressions, to use the Stoic term.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So I suppose on one hand, the Stoics do have a more permissive view of art, one that's more context sensitive but they do note that it is up to us how we make these judgments about these different artworks and the judgments do matter so it's perhaps it's not purely what you might see as some more permissive views of art might be you can consume whatever you like respond to it in whatever way you like and that's not that's certainly not the stoic view
0: no they are not they are not relativists in any sense of the word. Uh, I think the, um, a a good parallel to contemporary world would be uh, this discussion that's still, uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty uh, interesting issue in aesthetics, modern aesthetics. It's the, the, the case of video games causing people to be more violent allegedly (laughs) and so um if we take that as a sort of case study so someone like plato would be in agreement that yeah there are there are certain kinds of artistic expressions that can uh, make people more violent for example whereas the stoics would definitely be very skeptical about this um or uh, just outright denying this saying that well it's really not up uh, up up to video games to make anyone more violent these things don't have that kind of power right it's uh we we have to focus on the person and uh, it's always the person that makes these decisions, not object, not artistic object.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I suppose maybe there's a two-part, two-part question, two parts to this. Uh, one, On one hand, what do you think is most insightful from the Stoic theories, thoughts on beauty? Uh, you know, perhaps something we've, we've already covered. And what do you think is something they might get wrong or if, if not wrong Uh, a place where the the theory could use additional detail
0: so i i think uh, the functional aspect of the stoic thought is really exciting because functional aesthetics has been out of fashion for many centuries and uh, it's coming back. There's been a few uh, very interesting uh, monographs uh, recently on on modern notion on on functional aesthetics, and philosophers try to show how it's a really powerful idea. And so I, I think that's really nice to explore or this through stoicism. Uh, the Stoics were not the only functional functionalists in the ancient world. This was just one of the ways of thinking about aesthetic properties, but they really make it very uh, precise, very robust, I think, by integrating it so well into their moral philosophy and, well, also metaphysics, really. So that, I think, is something um, uh, really mm-hmm. interesting and um, very nice I think about stoicism. The thing that they get wrong in terms of aesthetics uh, right? Right, right,
1: yeah. Of course yeah. it can be connected to the larger philosophy.
0: Um, okay. So I think probably the uh, toughest case <laughs> for a lot of people reading Stoicism today is their commitment to intelligent design. So they use uh, the argument that the world is so beautiful that it could not possibly come, come about uh, in a way that's not rational and i think well um i know that some people really struggle with this uh, we we like to think uh, a, lo- a lot of a lot of people these days think about creation of a natural world in a very different way and that argument i think comes across uh as as a little bit heavy handed it's uh or sort of, um, I think it it could also be said that it's a kind of argument that could be made in a, a more elegant, um, more sophisticated way. And uh, Clientes, uh at least uh, in in the texts that are extant that are preserved by Cicero, does this job in, in sort of a little bit um, loose way.
1: Got it. Got it. Do you think there's someone who has written a better example of this kind of argument or is it outstanding, uh, outstanding work to do?
0: Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not sure actually. That is, that is a really difficult question because this, this argument has immense history. There are so many versions of of the of the same idea uh, argued in many different ways. Um, I'm I'm not sure what would be a, a sort of a really good example. Not uh, not off the top of my head. Sure, but...
1: sure, sure, sure. All right, two two excellent examples already, or two excellent points in the last question. All right, excellent. Is there Anything else you'd like to add or uh, anything that you think we we missed?
0: Um, No, I don't think so.
1: Perfect. Well, thanks so much for uh, coming on.
0: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks again for listening to Stoa Conversations. If you found this conversation useful, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with a friend. And if you'd like to practice Stoicism with Michael and I, as well as others walking the Stoic path, we are running our three-week course on Stoicism applied. It'll be live with a forum, interactive calls, and I think will be an excellent way for a group of people to become more Stoic together. So do check that out at stoameditation.com course. And if that's not to your fancy, you can find links to the STOA app as well as the STOA letter, our newsletter on stoic theory and practice at stoameditation.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.